As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 435th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're going to go to South Dakota to the city of Rapid City. And we're going to look at some of the hauntings there, specifically the Hotel Alex Johnson. Got some stuff going on in that hotel. Very cool. Also want to point everybody in the direction of our paranormal conversations. We just dropped number five this week. And if you guys haven't been listening, you've been missing out. These have been a lot of fun off the cuff, hearing about all kinds of different haunted locations that you may not normally hear about. And other people in the fields and in the podcast arena, what their theories are on ghosts and such. Yeah, it's really been fun. And along those lines, we want to give a special shout out to Amy Olson. Yes, indeed. This last Paranormal Conversations was with your friends at Destination Mystery. Now, before we get into talking about the hauntings, let's welcome into the spectacular crew, Rachel, Melissa, Mary, Wren, Marsha, Holly, and Alan with one L. Thank you for joining our spectacular crew. And now, this moment, Noddy. The moment in oddity was suggested by Karen Miller. Megalithic structures are found all over the world, and they are all fascinating. It's hard to comprehend that human beings could construct such things with their hands and basic tools. One of these renowned structures can be found in India. This is the Kailasa Temple, and it's technically a cave temple. Rather than being a temple that was built, it was formed by excavating 200,000 tons of volcanic rock from a single block of stone. This temple is one of 34 stone temples that make up the Ellora Caves at UNESCO World Heritage Site. Not much is known about the temple. It is thought to have been built between 600 and 1000 BC, but nobody knows who ordered it built. A legend claims that a king became ill and his queen prayed to Shiva to cure him. 
She promised to have a temple built to Shiva and that she would fast until the Shikara, or very top, was built. Little did the queen know that this construction could take years. An engineer recommended that they carve down into the stone and build the top first. And that's what was done. Whether this story is true, we'll never know, but the temple was indeed carved from the top down. When finished, the temple was three stories, with lots of ornate decoration that could have been added a little at a time over the centuries. A herd of carved elements at the base of the structure seemed to be carrying the temple on their backs. Both Vishnu and Shiva are honored by the Kailasa Temple, which is an outstanding example of Indian art and an engineering marvel. And the fact that it was carved from the top down certainly is odd. He's just getting started. And now, this month in history. In the month of May, on the 1st, in 1852, Calamity Jane was born. Calamity Jane was born as Martha Jane Cannery in Princeton, Missouri. She moved with her family via wagon train to Montana in 1865. Her mother died the following year from pneumonia and the family moved to Salt Lake City. Jane's father died in 1867 when she was just 14. She took her siblings to the Wyoming Territory and worked a variety of jobs from cook to nurse to dance hall girl to ox team driver and even some sex work. There are legends about how she received the nickname Calamity Jane. The story she told was that she helped during military conflicts with Native Americans and saved a Captain Egan who had been shot in his saddle, and as he fell, she grabbed him and pulled him onto her saddle and rode to the fort where he was saved. He dubbed her Calamity Jane, the heroine of the plains. Another story claimed that she told men that offending her was to court Calamity. Another questionable story about her includes her being married to Wild Bill Hickok and having a child with him. She joined Buffalo Bill's Wild West show in 1893. Jane died from an inflamed bowel and pneumonia in 1903. She was buried next to Wild Bill Hickok in Mount Moriah Cemetery in Deadwood. Rapid City, South Dakota is full of great eats, history, and culture. The Hotel Alex Johnson has been opened for nearly 100 years and is located in downtown Rapid City. The hotel has hosted celebrities, presidents, and even a couple of ghosts. Today, the hotel is run as part of Hilton's Curio Collection, so the interior has been modernized. But that hasn't chased away the spirits of the past, and the city has a couple of other haunted spots as well. Join us for the history and hauntings of Rapid City and the Hotel Alex Johnson. The Black Hills expedition came to the Black Hills in search of gold, and they found it in 1874. The announcement of this find brought a rush of people to the Dakota Territory. Not everyone was successful, and a few of these discouraged prospectors decided to found a city. 
The spot they chose was near a limestone spring, and so they called their settlement Rapid City. I'm assuming it must have had rapids there. (laughs) One would imagine. (laughs) (laughs) The group led by John Brennan and Samuel Scott platted the town with six blocks in the center for a business district. They advertised the settlement as the gateway to the Black Hills to attract families to relocate. And the people came and continued to come, making the South Dakota's second largest city today. The 1800s brought more commerce and industry, and the 20th century would make it a tourist destination. President Calvin Coolidge and the First Lady visited Rapid City in the summer of 1927. He set up an office there and announced he would not seek re-election in 1928. And a little fun fact, Kelly? Al Capone was invited by the Rapid City Chamber of Commerce to live in the Black Hills in 1930. My goodness, okay. Capone declined. We do know that he did make for sunnier fare down here in Florida. So maybe <laughs> it was a little too chilly for him there. Could be. But uh, yeah, I'm like, why would you be inviting? I guess they just wanted to have more reason for people to come check out the city. It's quite the marketing campaign. Let's get the gangsters to come. <laughs> well, they'd bring in some money. <laughs> maybe they were looking for him to bring some liquor in. I don't know. It was about this same time that Alex Johnson decided to build a hotel here. Alex Johnson was born in Crawford County, Pennsylvania, on May 20, 1859. He went to school to become a teacher and obtained his teaching certificate in 1878. He married Ida DeVore, and the couple had three children. The family moved to the Dakota Territories, looking for an opportunity to make more money. Johnson got work as a traveling auditor for elevator companies and attended law school. He passed the bar in South Dakota and later became a special agent for the Chicago and Northwestern Railroad. Johnson continued his work with the railroad throughout the rest of his life, reaching vice president of CNW, holding that role until he retired in 1929. During that time, he decided to build a hotel, which he hoped would be a showplace of the West. The timing was perfect for this hotel. The day before ground was broken for the Hotel Alex Johnson, Work began on Mount Rushmore, which was just down the road. Construction continued from October of 1927 to July 1st, 1928, when the hotel officially opened. The hotel was designed by Chicago architects Oldfest and Williams and done in their Germanic Tudor architectural style. This style is clearly reflected in the half-timber work and multiple roof gables at the top of the hotel and the large groups of rectangular windows. Kelly, you've seen some pictures. I've seen some pictures. We'll put them up on Instagram. It's a very unique looking hotel because it's just this brick facade really on the outside until you get to the top. And then it looks like a a Swiss chalet. Yeah, it does. It's very unique. Yeah. So that's kind of where it's got the Germanic Tudor in there. And I was like, wow, that's kind of fun. Usually you'd be looking up a brick building and it would just go all the way to the top, rectangular off and call it good. But no, it's very, very fancy up at the top there. The hotel rises 122 feet and has 11 stories. The hotel featured standard guest rooms and suites, a total of 143 rooms. Today, those suites are the executive suites, a presidential suite, and a bridal suite. Johnson wanted the interior of his hotel to reflect the land upon which it was built, so he insisted that the Lakota Sioux tribe be represented. There's a chandelier that is hung here from the beginning, made from the tribe's war spears. The Native American symbol for the four sacred corners of the earth is represented in several places as well. The lobby has brick flooring and ornate woodwork, particularly on the banisters of the upper level that looks down on the lobby. That is very, very cool. I'm glad that he chose to incorporate that from the the Native tribe there. 
the four sacred corners of the earth for people who don't know what that looks like. It's basically a circle with uh, the lines running through the centers. So it looks like a plus sign inside of a circle. Right. There's a bar off the lobby called Patty O'Neill's, and this was named for the first official guest of the hotel. Good thing his name wasn't John Smith. Yeah, that'd be a pretty (laughs) boring bar name. Hey, let's go over to the pub. John Smith's pub. There's also the Vertex restaurant and bar that's on the top two floors of the hotel and is members only. So you might recall this. We watched the Ghost Hunters that had this one. And at the time when they went in to investigate, they were just refurbing the place. So it didn't look like much. But now it is a really nice looking bar. It's got a really cool, it's indoor, outdoor. Obviously, I'm only going outdoor if it's like summer. (laughs) (laughs) Good grief. In South Dakota. But uh, it just looks like a really neat place. But I was like, wow, it's members only. So if you go and stay at the hotel, you can't go up to the bar? I don't know. Maybe they give you a special access. I do know you can get special access. We'll talk about this later if you book a certain package. Ah, The hotel has hosted six U.S. presidents over the years. Calvin Coolidge, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Dwight D. Eisenhower, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, and Ronald Reagan. The 1959 Hitchcock movie, North by Northwest, was filmed at nearby Mount Rushmore, and the hotel served as lodging for director Alfred Hitchcock and stars Eva Marie Saint and Cary Grant. The hotel is mentioned several times in the movie as the Sheraton Johnson Hotel, because that was its name at the time. This was the place that the mysterious George Kaplan was staying. North by Northwest is considered one of the greatest movies of all time and features a plot where an innocent man is mistaken for being someone, with the government trying to prevent a mysterious organization from smuggling out microfilm that contains government secrets. The climax of the movie takes place at Mount Rushmore. I actually don't think I've seen that movie before. I've seen most of Hitchcock's, but I don't think I've seen that one. I am betting that I have, but I don't remember it right off the top of my head, so we'll have to pull it up. Yeah, we'll have to watch (laughs) it and see. 20 years after the hotel opened, it changed ownership to the Epley Hotel Company. It then fell under ownership of the Sheridan Company and was called the Sheridan Johnson Hotel, as we just mentioned in the movie, when Sheridan acquired the Epley Hotel Company. That lasted nine years, and the hotel took on its original name again in 1965. Hilton took over the hotel in 2015 and made it part of its curio collection managed by Live Hospitality. The hotel announces its name with a glowing red rooftop sign. This place is not shy about their haunts and even offers a ghost adventure stay, which is the package I was talking about a little bit ago. Very cool. This includes a reportedly haunted room, a K2 meter, free parking, and a dining credit, and I believe you also get access to the bar. I know where I want to go. And it's just they <laughs> tack on an extra 70 bucks. So very cool. Yeah. So I was like, I have well, to check it out. Maybe they could get me up there because I mean, when I went to go see Mount Rushmore, I was just a kid. So. Yeah, I went years ago, but I was older. I already had both boys. And so we were visiting my ex's family in, in South mm-hmm. Dakota. So of course, we had to go to Rushmore. Yeah. And I, I just didn't have quite the appreciation as a kid, I think, for like the Black Hills and everything like that. So I would love to to get back up there and Definitely hit Deadwood and all that good stuff. So Deadwood is very cool. Yeah, I think they might. I might. I think they might get us up there some summer. The website also includes information about the three spirits thought to be here, and the lobby keeps a ghost book. So that's what I love about these hotels is not only that they don't shy away from when people ask, "Is it haunted?" but they actually advertise it and market it that way. The hotel has seen its share of death, with reportedly eight deaths at the hotel. 
guests and staff have reported seeing shadow figures, particularly in unusual places. Doors open and close by themselves, cold spots are felt, people feel as though they're being watched, and they feel someone unseen sitting down next to them. Knocking is heard as well as growling. And there are reports that one entity here does seem to be aggressive, so perhaps that's who's growling. This means spirit is also shoved, bitten, and pinched people. Chairs are pushed from one area to another or sometimes heaved across the room by something unseen. Hulk mad. One of the ghosts here is believed to belong to Alex Johnson himself. He died in the hotel in 1938. His full-bodied apparition is seen in various locations. There's a young female ghost here as well that is believed to be Alex Johnson's niece who died of an incurable disease. She likes to wander the eighth floor and has been seen running through the hall and knocking on doors. She vanishes once seen. Her disembodied giggling is heard also. It'd be like me ding-dong ditching, but knocking on the door and then <laughs> running away and giggling. Well, we know what kind of pranking you're going to be doing as a ghost. Heck yeah. D'Amico Rodriguez worked as a general manager of the hotel in 2018, and he told the 605 magazine, People say they hear kids running up and down the hall. Well, we don't have a lot of kids that stay here, particularly not young children. That's one of the things that they often talk about. They hear them playing in the hallway. Raz Goldman was a hotel lobby clerk, and he told the Black Hills Fox in October of 2020, There's something that always creeps me out on the eighth or third floor. For me, in room 812, the safe would not open. We did everything we could, and it would not open. Finally, before I called maintenance, the safe just opened. I don't know why or how that happened, but it did. The most famous ghost here is their lady in white. There are two stories told about a bride who killed herself. This could either be two totally different brides or just two legends connected to one woman. Both stories claim that the bride was jilted. She had been staying on the eighth floor and threw herself out of the hotel window, falling to her death. Or she hanged herself inside her eighth floor room from the telephone cord. This second story actually has a crime scene photo to go with it, so it isn't just legend. Some people claim that she was murdered, particularly her friends who say that she had a large inheritance. The police never found evidence for murder, so it was ruled a suicide and remains that way. She died in room 812, so this is the most active room. She opens and closes drawers in here and even turns the drawers upside down and puts them back in that way. <laughs> See, ideas, ideas, ideas for pranking. Yes, indeed. I'm making mental notes. The lady in white's disembodied crying is heard, and guests have awakened to find the window open in the morning. This ghostly bride is seen floating down the hallway of the eighth floor as well. Kelly, I'd said that you and I watched the Ghost Hunters episode about this. They investigated in 2011. Jamie Paul Kohler, a gift shop employee at the time, saw a dark figure out of the corner of his eye, walk up from behind him, and then passed him through a locked door. He said it freaked him out good. The general manager says people hear people yelling, let me out of here, down in the basement. I, have... <laughs> I told you what that reminded me of, the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> Get me out of here! Let me out of here! <laughs> let me out of here! And I have no idea why. I mean, there's no story to go with it that a bunch of people were locked in the basement. So is there a bit of history here that we don't know? Perhaps. That's just weird to me. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> Get me out. <laughs> the general manager had lived in room 304 for a month when he first got to the hotel. And one night he felt something shift on the bed and then lean on him. Something he couldn't see. Maybe a cat. For some reason that just popped into my head. 
That would be interesting because I don't know if he described exactly. It was just more of a feeling. So I don't know if he saw like the size of what would have been sitting on the bed or whatever. And then leaning on him was it? Did it have a lot of weight to it or? Bob Allman was the director of maintenance, and he could never get plumbers to go into a crawl space between the ninth and 10th floors where much of the major plumbing is located. One plumber got very nauseous and another heard an audible growl. He also lost a painter who was touched by a ghost and refused to return. The guys thought that they debunked this as the heating pipes making noise until the thermal camera picked up a figure. They did debunk a claim that a man got out of the shower and you know how the mirror gets all steamed up. He saw the word help me, written in the steam of the mirror. And as we know, I've seen this before, not just on this Ghost Hunters. Someone could have written something there before, and then it would show up once the steam hit the mirror. Exactly. They proved that with a little bit of an experiment. And it was kind of funny because I believe Grant and Jason had written something for Amy and Adam were on this episode, too. So they told, (laughs) they wrote something like, Amy, you're fired. (laughs) So when it steamed up, she's like, oh, I see somebody else tried this experiment before us. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. The team brought their dog, Maddie, with them. She refused to go into the room where the crawl space was located, and they got high EMF readings. Grant and Jason heard the sound of something like a box dragging across the floor. Tango went into the crawl space and asked something to knock after he knocked, and something did. He repeated it, and there was knocking again. Later, Jason and Grant would be in the same space and hear disembodied footsteps. Amy and Adam were in room 304, and they captured a deep voice on their recorder. Tango and Steve were sitting in the balcony of the ballroom, and they captured some kind of a white mist traveling several feet around the tables on a camera. It was very creepy. Now, they said that they thought that this was some kind of dust, and so they just debunked it as dust. But it didn't quite look that way. I don't know. It was very hard for me to say that it was dust because it looked like it was down on the floor level. It didn't look like it was something that was kind of floating in front of their camera. And the way that it looped around, it was almost like it would be something that was going around the tables and chairs. So if it was a little dust bunny blowing through the air, it made an interesting route that matched up pretty well. Unique pattern. They also asked the spirit to make a banging sound, and it sounded like some soft knocking. Jason felt something blowing on the back of his head in room 304. They looked for a vent, but could not find anything that would cause that. Amy and Adam had also felt like something touching their hair when they were in this room. Adam slept in room 802 and caught a female voice on EVP a little after 4 a.m. And now we'll move on to the Elks Theater. The Rapid City Elks built the building that now houses the Elks Theater in 1911. This was to be their lodge and opera house. They sold the Elks Lodge in 1920 to a man named Art Rose, and he held on to it for five years before selling it to Black Hills Amusement Company. I thought it was so weird that the Elks would take the time to build this big lodge and opera house and then only be in it for nine years. Yeah, that is odd. (laughs) Usually they hold on to that stuff forever, so I don't know if they couldn't afford it anymore or what happened there. Talkies came to the theater in 1929. In 1969, Commonwealth Theaters bought the theater, and they sold it to United Artists in 1988. 
We're not sure why, but the company locked up the theater within a year and left it abandoned. Burst pipes severely damaged the interior. Doug and Lori Andrews bought Elks Theater in 1992 and began refurbishing it. They sold it to Kurt Small in 2008, and he still owns the property. There's one benevolent spirit here that everybody calls Jimmy. Kurt Small doesn't believe in ghosts, but he has said that patrons claim to have seen the apparition and that they see the seats set up and flip down on their own. Next, we have the old hanging tree. Along Skyline Drive, one will find the stump of a very large old oak tree. This is reputedly what is left of Rapid City's hanging tree. Several historical records do describe a hanging tree being used to execute criminals, but no one knows for sure if this is the exact location. That doesn't keep the spot from being haunted, though. A woman who lived in a house on the hill near the tree claims to have seen the spirit of a cowboy pass into her house and he walked through the hallway. She also wants her to disembodied voice tell her to get out. And people who have been outside near the tree have claimed to hear the sound of a horse and even felt the horse rush by them. On one occasion, a dozen people all heard the sound of the horse as if it were struggling. Makes you wonder if that was the horse that was holding the person that was going to get executed? Could be. The Susan Hospital is next. This originally started as a boarding school for Native American children. It opened in 1898 and was called the Rapid City Indian School or School of the Hills, in reference to the Black Hills, of course. The goal was to teach Native American children how to read and write and adapt them, read that as conform them, to English culture. Some of the children were mistreated, and we can imagine that they were not very happy being away from family and being forced to learn things they may not have wanted to learn. There are stories that some were beaten to death or neglected to death and that they were buried on the property. Now, I don't have any official records of that, but that is what they say about this school. Well, and as I understand it, a lot of these types of schools, that was quite prevalent. Yes, I would agree with you. And I mean, we know with the Native American children, sometimes when they took them from their families, they adopted them out to other people, too. So, yeah, very sad. We could have had that going on here as well. The boarding school closed in 1933 and reopened later as the Sioux Sanitarium to help Native Americans who had tuberculosis. Those who died at the hospital and had no family were buried on the property. The hospital closed in the 1960s. It reopened as the Rapid City Indian Health Service Hospital. Unmarked graves still exist here. The crying of children is heard on the property, and the apparitions of Native American children have been seen, and they slowly fade away after being seen. And next we're going to talk about Hooky Jack. This is a legendary character from Rapid City that we want to share with you. His name was John Leary, but everyone knew him as Hooky Jack. Now, when we first heard this story, it just sounded like a legend. Miner loses his hands to dynamite, replaces them with hooks, works as a cop for decades, and dies after being hit by a car. He then went on to haunt his old 7th Street apartment building, which later became a nightclub, restaurant, and church offices. But it was all true, as this article from the Lead Daily Call, dated November 8, 1926, reveals. Headline, Hooky Jack Leary Dies in Rapid City. The shuffling step of John H. Hooky Jack Leary, the cheery good morning, irregardless of time, and Rapid City's faithful watchman for the last 41 years, departed as one for Hooky Jack died at 440 in a local hospital Saturday morning. Run down by a motor car Wednesday evening, Jack was taken to a local hospital where it was found that he had sustained a severe skull fracture. His 78 years were against his recovery, yet he lingered until early Saturday morning. Hooky Jack, the name by which John Leary was known to nearly every resident of Rapid City and to many of the Black Hills, was given him as the result of a serious accident when he was a minor in the late 70s. 
An explosion of dynamite caused the loss of his hands, the sight of one eye, and impaired his hearing. Among the characters of the Black Hills, well-known and with many friends, Jack Leary was with the foremost. Ever cheerful and always prepared with his good morning, Jack Leary did not know the limit of friends he made. So he sounds like a really great guy. Yeah. But yeah, when I first read this story, I was like, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> sure. And then I looked at the newspaper article and I was like, oh my God, it really, d- I mean, oh my gosh, this poor guy, he's lost his hands. He's managed to function by putting hooks there back at a time that you can't even imagine. And he worked as a cop for four decades that way. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I just was like, wow. And clearly he loved life because he was just, good morning, didn't matter what time of day it was. Employees working at the businesses claimed to see strange orbs and saw objects that moved on their own, like billiard balls, tables, and chairs. They also heard disembodied footsteps, and some customers claimed to see an apparition. Most of the activity takes place on the third floor where Hooky Jack once lived, and employees would refuse to go up there. No one would work in the building alone. Security cameras on the third floor picked up flashing lights when the building was empty. Bartenders claimed to see the spirit of Hooky Jack come towards the bar as if to order a drink and then he would just disappear. And people claimed to see him looking out of the glass doors at the front. Several places in Rapid City seem to be haunted. The city is definitely a historic place and with its location so close to the Black Hills and Mount Rushmore, it makes a great tourist destination. Are these locations in Rapid City and in particular the Hotel Alex Johnson haunted? That That is for you to to decide. Well, as we said, cool place to check out someday. Most definitely. We'd love to have you check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Just want to make you guys aware that we did do an interview with Jim Harold, and I believe that has dropped this week. So if you head over to the Paranormal Podcast, you will hear two of your favorite hosts. Yay! It was so much fun. It was a lot of fun. Justin and the crew wrote, one of the few places I've had a paranormal experience. A few years ago, we were on the Ghosts of Staunton tour. And I hope I said that right. It's S-T-A-U-N-T-O-N. And they did a spirit box session, which I took with a grain of salt because in my skeptical mind, they could be pre-recorded. But after they wrapped up and started us on the walking tour, I walked through a very cold spot. It was a typical hot Virginia summer night, and yet it felt like I walked through a fridge. Interesting. Yeah. And then we heard from Corinne on Instagram. She said, hello, my girlfriend and I just started listening to you guys while on a road trip. We absolutely love your podcast. I'm from West and West Virginia, and I was wondering if you guys have ever covered the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum that's there. And so, of course, I let her know that we did. She said, it has a super rich history dating back to the Civil War era when it was in the process of being built. I worked there for a short while in the TB building when they converted that portion into a haunted house. It's so massive and eerie feeling everywhere on the property. While in the TV building, it was just always an uneasy feeling like you weren't alone. While on flashlight tours in the main building, my friend took a picture down a children's ward hallway and her phone died right after that. When we got to the car and plugged her phone in, there was a huge orb right in the middle of the picture with the old children's paintings on the hallway walls in the background. Definitely pretty creepy. Interesting. Could have been a coincidence, but you know what we think about coincidences? Yeah, we don't really believe in them. (laughs) The separate criminally insane building behind the main building is supposed to be super active as well with shadow people following groups. I personally haven't seen anything in there, though. There are old wheelchairs parked randomly along hallways. While on a flashlight tour on another floor, one did turn and move across the hallway probably 30 feet in front of us. Whoa. I'll be like, what the? That stuff seems to be pretty typical there. (laughs) 
Okay. That's just typical. (laughs) There's just so much sad energy there. My great-grandparents said back when it was still open, they would allow the patients to walk around town. And when the fire whistle went off at the police station, they knew to all go back. It's kind of like your mom calling you back for dinner. Yeah, wow. John F. Kennedy's sister was admitted there and was given a lobotomy. They have old films in one of the rooms there of old tape surgeries and lobotomies along with old medical tools that were left in operating rooms. I definitely recommend visiting it if you guys are ever up this way. And then she said, Moundsville Penitentiary is supposed to be a pretty active ghost spot too. And I said, oh yes, indeed. Thanks for writing us, everybody. We love hearing from you guys. We also thank you for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome back Melissa Potter. We're going to be putting you under a marble headstone. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com. Megalithic structures are found all over the world, and they are all fascinating. Here we go. A legend claims that a king became ill and his... Now, before we get into... Now, before we get into... Now, before, before, before. Let me fix (laughs) my tongue. The Hotel Alex Johnson has been opened for nearly 100 years and is located... And is located. The 1800s brought more, more, more. Moi? It brought more. It's they had more going on than you could ever believe. The 80s brought more commerce and. <sighs> <laughs> We're jumping ahead in time. The 80s. <laughs> <sighs> okay. President Cav- Cavan. It's Cavan Cooley. I feel like with that 80s jump forward, we need to go. Like Bill and Ted. (laughs) There's also the vertex. The climax of the movie takes place at. Hilton took over the hotel in 2015 and made it part of its curio collection managed by Liv Hospitality. It's a hospitality group. We're going to have a hop a good time with our hospitality. Grant and Jason heard the sound. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.